I was just looking at the bulletin myself, and it's very appropriate to the verse that's on the, the cover that says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Because we're going to talk about coming when called today. That's the subject of our message. And it's one of those things that uh, I never knew growing up concerning a dog that the command, it's actually a command to come when called. And your dog should actually be trained to do that. Now, growing up, our dogs were not trained to do that. And uh, it was always an event when one of them escaped. And it took our fast legs and a little, uh, I guess, uh, sly trickery to grab that beast by the collar and drag his uh, reluctant feet back to the, the house. He, and, and they would, you know that they could hear you. You know, you, you probably had a dog at this. I think most dogs do not come when called. You wouldn't feel safe to take it out to the park without a lead because you know very well it will just, he or she will do whatever he or she feels like doing. There's a lot of new sights and smells and will be just out of reach and kind of, they'll hear you, but they're not going to exactly listen to you or do what you say. At least that was my dog. 30 years on, dogs are still dogs. And what God has said rings true. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. So when he calls his sheep, his sheep respond to him. That's a distinction between a sheep of his fold and not. He will tirelessly pursue those sheep. And you know, when our dogs escaped or made their way out, we would find them. We would bring them home. Even if it went going to the end of the block, we were going to bring them in. And I know that you would be the same. I uh, wouldn't go, oh, well, just leave him out there. He'll find his way home. No, you, you go after that, that creature and you bring him home. So the question is, have you learned to come when called? When God calls you, have you learned to respond to his voice? Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you don't treat us like uh, mere animals. You love us. You have breathed into us a living soul. You've made us distinct. You've given us part of your nature, and you have allowed us to know you. You've revealed yourself to us and enabled us with this gift of speech to put together thoughts and reasoning and to decide that we'll follow you. And though we can't do that on our own, Lord, you help us and you draw us near to yourself. I pray as we we enter into a new year, as we consider these old truths, Thank you that they are as relevant and true today as they have ever been and that you stand willing to save us, ready to pursue us, and you desire that we would come freely, that you wouldn't have to chase us down, but that we would respond to your call, to your voice, because we're yours and we love you. And I pray that would be uh, true in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So we'll be in Isaiah 55 today. It's really a passage fitting for all occasions, but I think very relevant entering a new year. We have a time to reflect and to look ahead with anticipation of what God will do. And as Andrew mentioned, a lot of people take the opportunity of a new year to be like a new start, uh, to reform areas of their lives, perhaps. I love the fact that the Lord's mercies are new every morning. He makes all things new. And uh, this week I was reading a book by G.K. Chesterton, and he points out that there's never revolution without restoration. And how, when take your health, for example. You want to improve your health by eating better, not eating the junk and eating the good. Uh, because it doesn't do us much good just to not eat junk. We still, and then we'd, we wouldn't be eating anything. So we need to be eating the good things. And we're looking to get back to a place where we've once been in our health. It's a restoration. And that's what God wants to do in our relationship with him, that we'd be renewed and restored and strengthened. That we'd see that as much as we, we realize our need for physical fitness or physical health, that we need spiritual fitness and health that comes from him. And it doesn't matter if you have never known God, if you have perhaps drifted from Him, or you're content with your level of fellowship with God, I pray that we'd all be resolute 
in seeking the Lord alone to satisfy that hunger and thirst he's put within us. And that's what we'll be talking about in Isaiah 55. Starting in verse 1. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Now, ho, in this case, it's similar to the American hey or the Australian oi. It's like, listen up. This I'm trying to get your attention. Like, hey, hey, like, attention, please. Over Eyes over here type thing. And uh, Spurgeon wrote something really cool in his... Uh, quoted in the Enduring Word commentary. He says, Ho, this is the gospel note, a short, significant appeal, urging you to be wise enough to attend to your own interests. Oh, the condescension of God, that he should, as it were, become a beggar to his own creature and stoop from the magnificence of his glory to cry, Ho, to foolish and ungrateful men. So he doesn't just speak in our language and words we can understand, but he came, Jesus came, to reveal himself to us And he says, attend to your spiritual needs. The sense of thirst, we've all felt it. It's a natural response. I have water with me up here because sometimes I get thirsty from talking. God put that sense in our bodies so that we would realize that we are getting dehydrated. And severe dehydration can lead to death. And so it's for the good of our bodies that we would satisfy that thirst. A thirsty man, when he sees water, he's going to run to it, not just to look at it, but to drink it because he knows it will save his life. Now, Isaiah is not speaking of a physical thirst, but a spiritual one. We're all born physically thirsty. When a child is first born, immediately that child will be given milk to drink. That's something that happens right from the womb. And in a spiritual sense, we're also thirsty. It's not only the drug addicts or an alcoholic who, who goes from fix to fix or binge to binge. But it could be us that go from one holiday to the next or uh, one show to the next show, one day, one, one activity that we look forward to to the next activity or uh, scrolling through Facebook, browsing through articles. And we don't really know what we're looking for, but we just keep going, right? We keep looking. We don't, we're, If you said, what are you looking for? We go, I don't know. I'm not really looking for anything. I'm just distracted or I'm just this or that. But there's something in us that's looking for something, thirsting for something. And how you try to fill that need that you have makes a huge difference. Because we can find satisfaction in life or try to find satisfaction through many good things God has given us. We can find joy in... Uh, music or books or entertainment, hobbies, career success, having money, travel, you name it. It's really an infinite list. Whatever this world can offer, we can look to be satisfied in those things. There's, there's that thing, though, where the thing that's new, it doesn't stay new. Holidays all end. That makes some of us very sad, right? The holiday will end. The the day you've been looking forward to, night is drawing near on that day where it's going to be over and there'll be a new day. And you go, oh, like, oh, I'm really looking forward to something and then it's over. And once that happens for, for decade after decade, you'd think we'd get it, but we don't always get it, do we? There's always the lure of new, that it's bigger or better. There's something there that is still out of our grasp. We're reaching for it. We're, we're hoping for something. But then once we've had the thing, we've actually realized our ideal. We realize that, well, there must be something. There's something better now that we could have. You know, I don't believe I always recognize my thirst. Do you guys always recognize your thirst? I don't with my body and I, I don't with my soul. I don't always know that I'm thirsty. There's symptoms of thirst, like, you know, chapped lips or kind of a dry throat. But spiritually speaking, we may not realize that we're actually thirsty. Thirst for the approval of others, thirst for praise, thirst for affection, recognition, and on. Again, we're thirsty for many things. 
The human soul could be compared to a bucket without a bottom. Whatever you can fit in it, it just passes right through and it never is contained. It's never held. It's never satisfied. There's nothing in this world that provides rest for our souls. And I don't believe there's anything in this world that claims to provide rest for our souls. That, That says, are you thirsty? This will quench your thirst forever. The world doesn't even make that claim. It just says, have fun and do this or do that. The world is filled with thirsty people running around trying to quench their thirst without living water, without going to the source that will satisfy them. And some who aren't running around anymore, they've given up. They're in despair, thinking that, well, this is just something I'm stuck with. My dad told me a story about when he was a boy. I don't think my granddad found it funny. I I found it very memorable. Uh, my dad to this day is a very industrious worker. This was seen in his childhood when about four years old, after he removed the fuel cap from the car, he sees this dark hole and he thinks, man, that is empty. Let's put some sand in there. So he got his little shovel or whatever and he started putting some sand in and it was like magic. The sand went in and he couldn't see it. And it's like, whoa, where'd it go? And so he got another shovel of sand, and he just kept filling it, filling it, filling it. And I don't know that he was actually caught doing this, or that my granddad tried to start the engine of his vehicle and put sand throughout his whole fuel system. But the point is, sand is not petrol. Cars were meant to run on petrol, not sand. You put sand in your petrol tank, and you're not going to be running at all, right? Not going to be running. Water, it's a fluid, but if you were to pour water into your petrol tank, it's not going to run either. You'll have the same disastrous effect. The engine will be messed up. I'm no uh, mechanic or technician, but I can tell you that that would require a lot of expense and time to flush that system and get it back running again. Parts would have to be replaced. And it's the same thing with the thirst the prophet's speaking of. He says, you can fill your tank with stuff, but if it's not the living water you're not going to run. It's not going to work. It's like putting sand in there or water. It's not going to be fruitful. It may be on the full because it's a fluid, but it's not going to run. Now, the qualification here, God makes one qualification. You have to be thirsty. He says, everyone who thirsts, come. Imagine this. It's a qualification which excludes no one and includes everyone. Wouldn't it sound crazy if the qualification for a solicitor, you know, $200,000 salary, uh, company car, expense account, it was open to anyone who needed to breathe or who had been born before. Or imagine that uh, to be the CEO, you need to prefer at least two hours of sleep a night. If you sleep at least two hours a night, you are a qualified applicant for this job. Well, that would include everyone, right? Everyone would be included, and that's what God's saying here. He's saying, if you're thirsty, everyone's thirsty, then come to me. A lot of people don't realize their thirst, and there's a lot of people who, because they have put so many things in, They've masked their thirst. They don't realize they're still thirsty. If you're thirsty, God has living water for you. His shout. He's already paid for it. He has supplied it. And he says, come and find satisfaction and eternal life in me. And he says, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. You don't need money to have that thirst quenched. You bring the thirst, God will supply the living water. He'll supply milk that's nutritious and wine for our many afflictions. There is spiritual hydration for all. Matthew Henry, he says this, he says, those that are satisfied with the world and its enjoyments, those that depend upon the merit of their own works for a righteousness, these do not thirst. They have no sense of their need 
are in no pain or uneasiness about their souls, but those who are thirst, who thirst are invited to the waters as those that labor and are heavy laden and invited to Christ for rest. When you're working in the yard, you get thirsty. When you're working hard, you're losing hydration, so you need to replenish that. And so he's saying, if you're laboring, if you've been working for your salvation to try to find fulfillment or satisfaction in this life, you're thirsty, come to me. I've got living water for you. Verse 2, he says, Why do you spend money for what is not bread, and your wages for what does not satisfy? When we're hungry, most of us recognize that sense. We have the good sense to eat at that time. But God's asking his people to consider their ways. If you, if your tank right now is running on empty in the car park, and you're like, oh, I need to get petrol, you would never think sand is a good substitute. There's not one of you here who, after learning how to drive a vehicle, would have filled your tank with sand thinking that that was good. Never. You've always put petrol in there. Maybe diesel as an accident. That's a bad one, too. I don't recommend that one. So we get that. Your food, we don't just look at it or, uh, you know, put it between our hands and go, oh, now I'm satisfied. No, we put it in our mouths and we eat it, right? In the same way, when we're spiritually dry, we can do the opposite. We can be spiritually dry, but we can substitute any number of things for the living water that comes from Christ. So we have all these substitutes spiritually. We get it physically most of the time. But spiritually, we can be quite dim. We look in the wrong places. We rightly question people who spend their money on pokies and foxtail and, and go hungry. We say, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? But spiritually speaking, we can do the same thing. We can seek after amusements and other things of, that the world has to offer, trying to substitute it for what only God has offered, and he's promised it for us. And we can try God like the Israelites did, hoping for good things from God without meeting his conditions. So we have the conditions here in this passage. He says, listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. So these three things, listen carefully to God. Hear what he's saying. We need to eat what is good. Avoiding the bad does us no good unless we're eating wholesome, healthy food. And we're to delight in the abundance God has supplied, being content with the life he's given us. I like what Paul says in Philippians 4:11 through 13. He says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Even when Paul was restricted to a prison, he had freedom in Jesus. When he went to bed hungry at night, he had food to eat other people didn't know about. Remember when Jesus was speaking to the Samaritan woman and they had gone to get food and he's having this conversation with her. They come back she leaves because she's believing that he is the Messiah. She's leaving her water pot and she goes, and they're amazed that he was even speaking to the Samaritan. And he says, I have meat that you have that you know not of. And they go, what, did someone bring him food? And he says, I'm doing the will of the Father. Like, I, I am full. Like, I, this is what I was made to do. It's in the context of contentment that Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's very important. Because you say, well, I'm not content. Or we think like, oh, I can do all things as if I can do a great thing for God. I can do a mighty work to bring God glory. Oh, sure, and that might be humbling yourself. But he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. And I can be content whether I have a lot or I have nothing, whether I'm in prison or I'm free. In Christ, I find every need supplied. 
It begins with that initial choice, right? To repent and trust God, but our daily choices make a huge impact on our spiritual health and well-being. So there's that initial choice, like you make that resolution, but it's the day-by-day that also has a great impact. In fact, almost more impact, because that's where the rubber is hitting the road. So Isaiah 55, verse 3. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. This is like the third or fourth time God says, Come, come and buy, come and drink, come to me. If you're thirsty, come to him. He's the source of the living water, the Holy Spirit, who sustains us body and soul. You read about times when when Moses and Elijah and Jesus, they went without food and water for, for 40 days. Moses almost did back-to-back stints, and that was through the power of God. Is anything too hard for God? He's made our bodies. He's able to sustain them. doesn't mean that we should tempt him or provoke him. But in obedience to him, we have satisfaction. Now, our bodies, we're satisfied to just have temporary respite from our hunger pangs, right? We will eat that candy bar. We will have those hot chips just to tide us over because we know we're going to have to eat again. We know this is just a little snack. You know, we're thirsty, so we'll drink that soda that we know is not the greatest thing for us, but hey, it's got some calories in it. It'll tide me over. But then we actually don't eat good things when the time comes because we're not hungry. So we've kind of masked that over. We don't eat the nutritional food. And we can do the same thing. We can pray. We can read the Bible. We can listen to a sermon. We can even take notes as if that can tide us over. And we haven't made choices during the week or during the day that bring honor to God. So God, he's not interested in the temporary fixes we're content with. He says, I'll give you an everlasting covenant. You're happy to be tided over. You know you'll have to drink again but I want to give you something that you can hold on to forever, make an agreement with you. The sure mercies of David. Now, after God had established David as king in Israel and Judah, he had given him peace on every side. It came into David's heart to build a great house for God. He felt it was a grave injustice that he was living in a house paneled with cedar the cedar of Lebanon, while God, the ark of God, and the presence of God was in a tent. He's like, it's just, it has curtains, that's it. This isn't right. So he says, I want to build a great, notable place for God. He deserves glory. And he went to Nathan, and Nathan at first said, do what's ever in your heart, God's with you. But then God spoke to Nathan and said, you know, speak to David. And so Nathan did. And let's read a portion of that. If you turn to 2 Samuel 7. God reminded David how he had brought him out of the sheepfold out as a young shepherd boy, a little boy tending sheep to a man ruling a nation and shepherding his people. He says, I, I know where you came from and I know what, how I've established you. You want to build me a house of cedar? Well, I'm going to make you a house. I'm going to do something for you. You want to do something great for me? Well, I'm going to do something for you that's going to last forever. David knew the house that he built for God wasn't going to last forever. So God said, this is in your heart to do to me? Well, look what I'm going to do for you. He talks of Solomon, and then he alludes to Christ, who would come of his line. In 2 Samuel 7, verse 12 through 16. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body, I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. 
But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. So the eternal God gave David an eternal promise of what would happen after he passed. In Psalm 89, 3 and 4, he says, I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to my servant David, your seed I will establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. Selah. Is there in you a heart as David, not just to be content with what God has given you, that he's established peace in your life, but a desire to do something great for God and his benefit as thanks for the great things he's done for you. God's given us the sure mercies of David, and that's the heart that I want to have. And it's not uh, really anything good of me. It's really our reasonable service. When we have done all that we say, I'm an unprofitable servant. I've only done what was my duty to do. It wasn't in my heart. It wasn't goodness of me, my generosity. It's because of you and the goodness of God and what he's done. So God would call the thirsty Gentiles in verse 5. They would come to him through faith in Christ, and we are numbered among them. We read in John 1.17, The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So God's given us this eternal covenant, this agreement, not of law, but of grace, grace and truth. We read that the law was like a tutor that led us to Jesus. It was a shadow that led us to Christ, who is the substance. He is the Holy One. So Isaiah 55, verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. God's called us and he bids us to come to him. Our call is to seek the Lord while we have opportunity. And when do we have opportunity? Well, during our days on earth. That's the chance that we have to seek the Lord. In the covenant of law, God promised that even in the last days. So this is cool because he, he gave this promise in the law. And he says, in the, even in the last days when my people come to me, they'll find me when they seek me with their whole heart. We read about that in Deuteronomy 4, 29 through 32. It says, but from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress, and all these things come upon you in the latter days, when you turn to the Lord your God and obey his voice, for the Lord your God is a merciful God, he will not forsake you, nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant of your fathers, which he swore to them. So God's not going to forget. He's not going to forsake. Even when we have forsaken him, when we seek him with our whole heart, we can find him. Now in verse 7 of the Isaiah passage, notice that it says the wicked must forsake his own way, even his thoughts, his own thoughts and ideas. We have to lay aside our demands of what God should do and how he should do it and when it should happen. He wants to clean the inside first of our lives and then the outside will also be clean. By cleaning the inside, it cuts off the source of a lot of those habits and sins that uh, overtake us. Now, can we do this alone? No, we're not able to. But when we repent and we trust in the Lord, he will have mercy on us and he will help us. He will give us strength and forgiveness. He will fill us with the Holy Spirit. When Jesus calls us to come to him, it's always come as you are, but it's never stay as you are. He says, you're thirsty, come thirsty, but don't stay thirsty. Drink deep of what I can offer you, what I have offered you. You're hungry, don't, good, come to me hungry, come to me empty, but don't stay empty. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't stay as you are. He wants us to change because he wants to transform us. As a parent of kids, 
I'm always really blessed when they make good decisions on their own. And really, hopefully, it's a, decisions that are made are because they've seen a good example at home, because of the scriptures, that that would be behind their decision. So really, when we make, when we make those good decisions, it's not my decision, is it? It's really, I'm, it's a reflection of the relationship I have with a father who loves me, who's been a good example for me, who's given everything for me. And, and I can't, I'm not a perfect example by any means. But I know the feeling when your kid makes a good choice and they're doing a responsible thing. And you're like, right on. That, that is exciting for me. And you know, I believe God is very pleased and he rejoices when his kids make decisions on their own. Now, granted, it's not on their own. We have the Holy Spirit. But when we choose to go God's way instead of our natural way, and we choose his decision, and he's like, uh-huh, I see that. Awesome. He keeps his word to us, and so we should keep our word to one another. He forgives us, and so we should be forgiving other people, even when we feel like we shouldn't have to. John echoed this heart. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Of anything that I could hear, when I hear a good report of my kids walking in the truth, this is what John is saying, he says, I have no greater joy than that, than to hear the word being fruitful in their lives and that they are living a life worthy of God. That's the kid I want to be. That the father goes right on. Good choice. Isaiah 55, 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. When our mouths are dry, we consider ways of how to satisfy our thirst. In Psalm 50, verse 21, God spoke to the wicked and said, You thought I was altogether like you. Like God's needy, like I'm needy. God thinks how I think. God acts. And so he says, you guys, you, you think that I'm like you? I'm not like you. My ways are higher than yours immeasurably. As the heavens are high above the earth, so my ways are higher than yours. My thoughts are higher than yours. I am on a different level entirely. You think you have a good plan. Understand that my thoughts are not yours. You are here somewhere. I am beyond comprehension. God doesn't speak like us. He doesn't think like us. His good character, his wisdom, it's in complete contrast to our fallen state. We operate according to sight, precedent, distorted concepts of fairness, and fear. But God, he operates according to righteousness, holiness, grace, and truth. Totally different. We, when we want our way, when I want my way in the flesh, what do, what do we resort to? Uh, to threats, force, coercion, lies, deceit, bribes, manipulation. We try every way to affect a situation. God just says the word and it happens. It's just totally different. No manipulation. We're fueled by pride and honor and glory for self, the benefits we may receive from our arrangement, what we get out of the deal, but those things are abominable before God because he operates in that holy plane that transcends human wisdom. It's just beyond. I love that God created the world from nothing. He doesn't do as a man does. If I want to build something, I have to have a plan. I have to have resources, so I go and I buy materials, and I have plans drawn up, and I have to go to the government and get the proper permits, you know, from the council to do something. It needs to be inspected. I have to hire workmen to actually do the work because I don't know how to do all that. 
When God wanted to create the world, he spoke the word and it was so. It says that many times in Genesis 1, and it was so. And God saw that it was good, and it was so. Now, how many times have we wanted to be just so, and it was never so? It, it wasn't anything resembling what we had hoped it would be. It was, despite all our efforts and our planning and our, you know, our, you know, like we had a plan. And well, the plans change, don't they? So you have darkness, and in the void, a light shines. No sun. God is the source. The sun wasn't created till the fourth day. But God just spoke, and it was. It was so. He says, For as the rain comes down and snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. God created plants that bore seeds after their own kind. He also created the rain to fall and water those seeds so that they would germinate and grow. He caused the fruit to be born of them so that it would also uh, reproduce. There's a profound purpose in all God's made, whether we get it or not. And in the same way that the rain falls and the snow falls to the earth to accomplish His purposes, in the same way God's word, it will accomplish what He said. He said something, it will happen. Now, do you believe that God can merely say the word and heal you? He can change you. He can quench your thirst, a thirst that you've always had. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the Bible is powerful? It can cause life to spring where there was no life before. Because that's what God says is what we'll do. We will use the scriptures to have our way. But God says it will accomplish what I purpose to do. He has a plan and it's masterful. It's much better than my plan. Would you say that the plans of God are good? That we can celebrate and trust that, okay, this is a good plan may not seem good, but I believe it is because I know the God who has control of all things. There's so much to talk about there and to think about, but we must press on. I encourage you to just think about that. When God says something, it will accomplish what he pleases. Isaiah 55, 12 and 13. For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. It shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. To a war-torn and scattered people, to those in captivity, God promised freedom and joy. It was something they couldn't see at the time. It seemed impossible that they could be joyful after all they had suffered and all they had lost, their young children who had died, their future that seemed erased, like no hope. And yet God said, but you're going to go out with joy. The trees will celebrate you. You won't have to fight for your freedom. I'm going to lead you out. It's going to be a gift from me. And we can make this mistake. We can think that freedom depends on my effort to obtain. I've got to fight for it, for freedom. No, God gives us freedom, and we are to walk in it. It's a gracious gift from God. If we've repented and trusted in Jesus, it's not your responsibility to fight for freedom. God has given you freedom. We can have the strength through him to walk in that freedom. Huge difference. Not fighting for victory, but from victory. Verse 13, it says, God will cause cypress trees to grow instead of thorns, the myrtle tree instead of briars. Now, thorns, we read about them in Genesis, I think chapter 3, in the fall. That was part of the curse. When Adam sinned, he said, the ground's going to produce thorns and thistles. And what the Israelites were enduring was the consequence of sin for many years, 490 years of wandering from God and uh, disobeying him and being idolatrous. 
Now, there's a huge difference between a thorn and a tree. Right? Thorns, well, they supply no fruit. There's no hardwood to build with, no shade or shelter. They choke out desirable plants, and if you walk on them, they're going to hurt you. No one has ever planted bindies, but they seem to grow everywhere. If you've noticed, it's just a weird thing. They just spring up. Like, where do they come from? But there they are. And they, you know, you trample them into the house and pulling them out of your shoes. And so it's like that can be produced from your life or trees. The cypress tree and the myrtle tree. Very interesting. They have beautiful wood, fast growing, hardy. Uh, the cypress is evergreen. They like full sun. You plant those in the sun, and they, they just grow beautifully in the sun. The myrtle tree, it flowers beautifully. Now, if you have one, those pink blossoms, you know, they may be a bit messy. But the tree itself is lovely, beautiful to look at, a, a lovely fragrance to smell. It's like your life, it can resemble a thorn or a briar. That's what's being produced in real life. Painful things, fruitless things, or like the cypress or the myrtle, this greenery we read about in Psalm 1, like that man that's established by the rivers of water that brings fruit in its season. You have those blossoms and that fragrance and the, the, the strength and, and usefulness of hardwood, the shade that the tree brings, refreshment and coolness, totally different. I believe all of us want to be like the cypress or the myrtle rather than the briar or the thorn. If we had our choice, right? We want to be useful and beautiful in God's eyes. So the question is, are you thirsty today? Are you thirsty? Will you come to him and eat what is good and let your soul delight in God's abundance? Are you willing to forsake your way and your thoughts and return to the Lord so that you can be pardoned? And the word pardon is lovely because there's no remembrance of what happened in the past. It's a wiping clean of a slate. So it's your choice, really, if we want to be like thorns, trees, dry or refreshed. Let's turn to 2 Chronicles 15. There's this uh, encouraging example of King Asa. And this is going back in time a bit before the, the siege of the Babylonians. And we'll see what, what God does. He is awesome. 2 Chronicles 15, verse 1. Now the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded. And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time Israel has been without the true God, without a teaching priest, and without law. But when in their trouble they turned to the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found by them. And in those times there was no peace to the one who went out, nor to the one who came in. But in great, but great turmoil was on all the inhabitants of the lands. So nation was destroyed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them with every adversity. But you, be strong and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. So this is a good thought-provoking question. Are we experiencing peace in our lives, or is it marked by turmoil? It's a wise man who turns to God in the days of trouble. Right? When you're in trouble, you turn to God. Now, the one who troubles nations can also trouble us when we live in opposition to him. And it's not the devil in this case. Verse 6 says it's God. God is the one who was troubling them. God is the one who was chastening them. And he says, don't let your hands be weak, for our work will be rewarded. I like that. We read many times, Nehemiah said, Lord, strengthen my hands. You've given me a job to do. I want to do it. I don't have the strength of myself, so you strengthen my hands. 
and by your grace, this job will get done. Now, when King Asa heard these words, it says he took courage. So he was encouraged by this. He put away the idols. He renewed the altar of the Lord. He gathered the people together. They offered sacrifices. They swore that they would seek the Lord. Verse 14, Then they took an oath before the Lord with a loud voice, with shouting and trumpets and ram's horns. And all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with all their soul, and he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. So you see what God does. His people responded to him. They renewed the altar. They brought the sacrifices again. They said, Lord, we want to seek you with our whole heart and our whole soul. And what does it say? And he was found by them. They found God that day. They had been without the true God. They knew about him, but they they hadn't really seen him face to face like that. And then it says, and the Lord gave them rest all around. I want peace all around. I want rest inside and out. How often we can make the mistake of seeking peace instead of seeking God who makes peace. Right? We just want peace. I just want some peace. I want some rest. And that's what we're looking for. But realize it only comes through seeking God. Otherwise, you're just putting sand in the petrol tank. We're, we're trying to satisfy ourselves with the wrong things, things that cannot satisfy. So he calls us today. Will we come when called? If you could turn to Ephesians 2, we're just going to move into a time of communion. 2 verse 13 through 18. And this really is the clincher because it shows what Jesus has accomplished for us. That it's not through our efforts to, you know, oh, okay, I've got to seek God now. I've got to work really hard to find him like, like, a, like the golden egg during an Easter egg hunt or something. Like I'm going to scour under every rock. You don't have to go a long distance. There's not a long distance between uh, your knees to the floor when you humble yourself before God. It's not about going on a huge uh, exploration to try to find God somewhere. No, he has come to us. He comes to you now through his word. And his presence is here in this room and in your hearts if you're his. So Ephesians 2, 13 through 18, listen to this. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. So God has come to us. Jesus has come. And he bids us come to him. If you are laboring, if you are weary, if you are thirsty, and that it's Jesus' blood that has brought us near to him. So we've been brought near. He's broken down the wall that kept us apart. There was this middle wall of separation. We could not reach God for all of our efforts, and yet he's broken down that wall. All obstructions are gone. And it says he's reconciled us to himself. There's this relationship that's occurred as God intended that sin ruined any option for us to have. So we have an opportunity now to renew our commitment to Him with our whole hearts to seek Him, to rejoice in Him. And let's be restored to the Lord. Let's be like the men of Judah, the men and women and the children even, who swore with all their hearts to seek the Lord. And the Lord will be found by you if you seek Him with your whole heart. Is there any part of your heart that is not His that is going your own way. 
May he reveal even that to us. If I could please have the worship team come forward. We will have uh, a song. And as that song is being sung, I encourage everyone to let the Lord examine your heart, to repent before the Lord, for we all have sinned. We have all fallen short of his ways. And if you've been critical of the Lord, his timing, his ways, lay that before him. Acknowledge that his ways are higher than yours and his plans are are greater, they're better, and that we can trust him. And that when he just says the word, how about when Jesus was there and uh, the man sent his servants and said, oh, Jesus, I want you to heal my servant, but you know, I too am a man under authority and I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. You just say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus says, wow, I haven't seen so much faith even in Israel. Go your way. And that servant was healed from that hour. God just needs to say the word, and it's done. It's going to accomplish what he pleases, not what we please. Let's trust him, and let's thank him. Lord, we do thank you that you are an awesome God. Your ways are high. They are wise. We cannot comprehend how awesome you are and the plans that you have. But we pray, Lord, that you would uh, prepare our hearts now to come before you as we worship you in song, as we receive the bread and the cup, remembering the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, the shedding of his blood. Lord, we repent of our sin, of going our own way, of having our own thoughts, of of really being self-centered. And we want to look to you right now and in this new year, that we would walk in the way that pleases you, that we would be as the cypress and the myrtle, beautiful, green, uh, a vibrance about us because you have made us alive through Christ. Thank you that you have set us free. You have brought us peace. You have drawn us near to yourself. And I pray that none of us would leave here thirsty, Lord. That little sip of, of juice is not going to quench our thirst, but help our thirst to be quenched in Jesus, in that living water of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for the fullness of the Spirit upon us now. I might walk in your ways and be refreshed and that you might be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.